you were blessed by the music this morning, just let Brother Dale and everybody know that. Thank you all so much for what you do, exalting the name of the Lord Jesus. Never, never gets old, does it? And in heaven, it never will get old. And uh, Jenny, you missed it. You missed it. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I'd like to do something this morning. If you're a mother, I want you to remain seated. And I'd like for all the rest of us to stand. And the gift we're going to give you this morning is more than something you'll take home and throw away or lose or fade or get destroyed in a tornado or anything like that. We're going to give the gift of our love and the gift of our prayer this morning because we really do love and we really do appreciate you. And so uh, let's bow our heads. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's just say a word of thanks to the Lord. Father, we are so grateful this morning. As I uh, think about Russ and Debbie being right down here in the front, I don't have to say hi to them on a screen or anything like that. And we think about, Lord, how touch and go it was at times with her life. But then we're reminded it really wasn't touch and go because you are her life. And you're the one that ordained the number of days she's going to have. And nothing was going to stop that. Not COVID, not anything else. And so we thank you, Lord, that she is an example and a testimony of the sovereignty of God in our everyday lives. And also a testament to how we are indestructible by the enemy, by disease, by anything else until it's our time to go. And remind everybody here, we're all going to die. And I pray, Lord, that those who aren't ready to face you in eternity would think about that now. But Lord, help us also to remember that according to Psalm 139, we're not going to die a second sooner or live one second longer than what you have ordained for us. And we thank you that whenever we do die, because we have trusted Christ, we're really not dying. We're just changing addresses and absent from the body and present with the Lord. And I'm reminded to pray for those who are grieving today. And Lord, I uh, know that the world likes to throw around the word closure, and there really isn't any closure. You live with that grief, and you learn how to handle that grief, and you're comforted in your grief. And I pray for uh, Becky Yeary this morning in the death of her mom and pray that you would give her and Tom comfort and the rest of the family as well. But it's not just for them, but people who lost a, a loved one even years ago and they still grieve over it, especially on days like today. I pray for them. Pray that you would, would comfort and strengthen. Pray that you would heal sick people and do great things for them. I pray a blessing for Jenny on her birthday. What a blessing she has been to our family and what a blessing she is to our church family. Amen, church? And we pray that today, on this day where she gets a, a dual uh, celebration of motherhood. And we thank you, Lord, for that and also for her birthday. And Father, we want to pray for these people that are seated in front of us. The world is all kinds of confused about all of this today. But we thank you, Lord, in the beginning, when you created us, you created them, your word says, male and female. And that Eve was the one that bore the first children as the mother of all living. 
And we thank you, Lord, for these. And we thank you for what they mean to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. And pray that we would honor them. And pray that they would feel your love and our love. And the honor that we want to give them this morning. And Lord, forgive us when we only do it on one day a year. Instead of honoring our father and our mother, the scripture says, at all times. Heal families, heal marriages, heal heartaches and hurts and griefs, and bring joy into our lives because of who you are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, turn to Exodus. No, no Exodus today. We're going to take a break for a little bit from Exodus. But do turn to Psalm 139. Okay? The... uh, PowerPoint, there's a book on there called Are You My Mother? Why did I put that book on there? That was my favorite book before I went to kindergarten. And I remember my mom, so this is a tribute to her, reading that book to me over and over and over. Oh, we would laugh. It was so funny. It was about a baby bird, and, uh, you know, an egg is in the nest, actually, and the mama goes to find food or something, and the egg hatches while she's gone. Baby bird doesn't know who his mother is. So he hops out of the nest, and he goes from place to place and thing to thing. Are you my mother? Are you my mother? And uh, there's one where there's a big steam shovel, and he goes, are you my mother? And it goes, blew the air horn on it, and it goes, snort. You're not my mother, you're a snort. I thought that was hilarious. And uh, I don't think my humor's improved a whole lot, has it? And uh, I remember reading that and and just, you know, how funny it was. And then finally the baby bird meets its mother at the end. Good story. Good story. Except I never dreamed that from that time when I was probably, I don't know, three, four, to the age of 62, all of a sudden, that's the question. Because they're telling us now that men can have babies. Isn't that amazing? And so we get confused about all of this kind of stuff. And I'm afraid that when confusion enters in, what it does is it takes those of you who are mothers and it kind of blurs you in with a bunch of other stuff and a bunch of other junk and it causes us to where we're not really sure about much of anything. You know, we've been told for over two years now, getting lectured on, you must follow the science. Isn't that that kind of ironic to you? Because now nobody knows anything. So we're not sure what a man is. We're not sure what a a woman is or a mother is. Not sure who has babies and who doesn't have babies. All of this kind of stuff is just absolutely ludicrous and crazy. And again, it keeps us from honoring the God who created all of us the way that he did and also from doing what he commanded. You uh, no doubt are familiar with all of the the, the new Supreme Court justice or will be uh, before too long. When asked what is a woman and she said she couldn't answer because she's not a biologist. And I thought, seriously, I'm not a veterinarian but I know what a dog is. Right? I mean, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? 
I'd like to speak a little bit to that today because the Bible does tell us some things that we need to know about it. And Psalm 139, uh, we'll make our points and then we'll read it, is uh, so incredibly clear about everything that we uh, find ourselves dealing with today. And um, I want to give an introduction. I heard something when I was listening to uh, Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish preacher. And uh, I like his accent, but I won't try to imitate it. But uh, he made reference to some things. I did some research. There was a guy named... Um, here's, here's your name for your next baby. Hendrik Van Loon. There you go. You like that? At least it wasn't loony. But Hendrik Van Loon, he was uh, from Holland and uh, immigrated to America. But he wrote a book entitled The Story of Mankind. And he wrote it back in 1921. Okay, I looked it up. It's online and read some of it. It's really basically nothing but a handbook for children on uh, evolution. And, uh, but it's interesting that he began the history of the world with these words. This is a quote from the book in the introduction. We live under the shadow of, gigantic, of a gigantic question mark. Who are we? Where do we come from? And whither are we bound? Now before I read on, I would say that's a pretty good test for what your religion might be. Does Hinduism answer those questions? Does Buddhism answer those questions? Does Islam answer those questions? And really they don't. But Christianity does. And so if you're not a Christian today, I would encourage you to investigate. Read, start reading through the Bible in the book of John and find out who Jesus is and why he came and you'll see these three questions answered. Now, I go on to quote him. Slowly, but with persistent courage, we have been pushing this question mark further and further towards that distant line beyond the horizon where we hope to find our answer. Well, he's right. He died in like 1944, I believe it was. And so uh, he's been gone a long time, but he's right. We're born under a question mark. We ask these questions. Folks, monkeys don't ask these questions. Dolphins don't ask these questions, right? Dogs don't ask these questions. You've never seen a German shepherd sitting on a hillside admiring a beautiful sunset. You just don't see those kind of things. Animals are not humans. Humans are not animals. We're different. We are made in the image of God. And we think and we rationalize and we question things because that's the way God made us. And we have been pushing the question marks further and further and further. We're asking questions today that I promise you Adam nor Eve ever even thought of. To them, things like a space shot to Mars never entered their mind. They didn't even know what was out there or up there beyond what they could see and what they could experience. And over time, we began to study and observe and the scientific method, all of those things. And we have tremendous knowledge and we keep asking questions. And it's as though one question leads to another question. It leads to another question. We never 
as uh, Mr. Van Loon said, we never come to certainty. We hope to, but we never seem to come to certainty. In fact, I think we probably have more questions than we do answers at this particular point, and there's more and more confusion. The New York Times said, quote, until the turn of the century, Dr. Majorowitz writes, gender was defined through a binary, that means two, a binary taxonomy of opposites. In other words, people were either male or female. Why didn't he just say that? Taxonomy, good night. Now listen, but in the late 19th century, Sigmund Freud, anybody ever heard of him? Sigmund Freud, and the German psychologist Richard von Kraft Ebbing and Wilhelm Fleece, a German physician, began putting forth the notion that humans were inherently bisexual and that sexuality existed on a continuum between male and female. In 1910, that's the year my grandfather was born, in 1910, a Berlin physician, Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld, published a pioneering work on transsexuality and articulated a relatively new modern definition of gender. Absolute representative, uh, representatives of their sex are, he wrote, only abstractions and invented extremes. 1910. You thought it was new. You were going, where did all this come from? This didn't exist five years ago. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. goes all the way back into the last couple of centuries. This has been boiling under the surface. People have been talking about this, experimenting with this, questioning this, all of this type of stuff since the mid-1800s. And it came of age just recently because back in those early days, can you imagine what your grandfather would have done if anybody came in and says, Grandpa, there are really 85 genders. My grandpa would have hit me with a shovel. Right? Farmers, they knew, they knew the science. If you want to raise cattle, you got to have a male and you got to have a female. And they didn't ask the cattle, how do you identify today? Or anything like that, did they? they had, it was settled for all of these years. But for some reason, as we started asking more questions, and then people started giving opinions and thoughts and ideas, and call it what it is, theories about these things, we have become more and more confused. And we find young people legitimately dealing with this I don't feel like I'm male. I don't feel like I'm female. There must be a different answer. And they've been taught all of their lives, well, you're just a highly evolved animal life form. And so they experiment with different things. They try different things. And as we do this, instead of getting happier, we're becoming more and more depressed in this society, in this culture, 
And suicide rates are at a historical high right now. Why? Because every time we step out of the will of God, out of the plan of God, what we find out is there's just more question and there's more unfulfillment, there's more confusion because God, the Bible says, is not the author of confusion. And yet we live in such a confused time. And again, this is nothing new. So let's explore this. Psalm 139. Go ahead and open up there. And let's make this statement. Confusion comes from Darwin and Freud. Why would I blame it on them? Well, both of these men, both of these men teach that life and humanity and everything we do exists outside of a creator, outside of a designer, outside of a sovereign who controls all things, outside of moral absolutes. We can't really be sure about anything. You know, we used to be really sure about thou shalt not kill, and uh, then we started aborting our, our children, and uh, now we have to defend all of that type of stuff. At least some people do. And uh, we just have more and more confusion. When and what and how and when does a baby become a baby and when is it human and all of that kind of stuff that never used to be a part of, uh, of our lives. And so uh, with Darwin telling us that no, 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 you're just an accident. You're just lucky that you were here. Through mutations, through life and death and those type of things, you've evolved to where you are right now. And Freud said basically the same thing. The, the root of psychology is to say this. Mankind is basically good. You just got some hang-ups. You had some other people mess with you. Your parents didn't raise you right. Society is all messed up. But you're a good person when it gets right down to it. And both of these things deny what we read in the scripture. And they also, let's be honest... They deny the stark realities of life. We all know instinctively better than what those men teach us. But by the time they start messing with sexuality and gender and morals and standards and right and wrong and all of that, then we end up in a mess. And that's why David cleared it up for us in Psalm 139, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. This is a personal God, a God we're accountable to. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar and you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Did you know this? Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. We'll stop at that point, uh, for this point right there. When we've been told that we are supposed to uh, follow the science, they're not even really sure what the science is. Did you hear President Biden the other day when he was talking about the possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court, and he slipped and said, abort a child? Uh-oh. That's, that's not what they're supposed to say. 
You know, you never see a pregnant woman walking around saying, oh, we're so excited, we're going to have a fetus. And you never hear an abortionist say, we're going to kill a baby. And they take those terms, which basically mean the same thing, if you knew the definitions, but fetus sounds much more clinical than baby does. And so that's what they say. Well, he slipped, and he said, abort a child. Well, then, with everything we've been hearing so much lately with this transgender, transsexual thing, you know, men can uh, have menstrual periods now, they say, and men have babies. Well, they failed to tell you it's a transgender man. This, this is a woman by her biology and by her DNA who identifies as a man, but it's really not men having babies, is it? In fact, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, he slipped up the other day. He was so upset about the fact that Roe versus Wade might be overturned, and he made this statement. If men could have babies, this wouldn't even be an issue. Oops. Oops. And they're calling us idiots and telling us to follow the science. They did. What Joe Biden said was a scientific fact. And what Gavin Newsom said is a scientific fact. Who's living in the world of illusion and fairy tales, I ask you? Think about that. Number two. Confusion comes when we try to be king. What do kings get to do? Anything they want. And we want to be able to do anything we want, anytime we want, with anyone we choose. And that is now bled over even to ourselves. What am I? I'm whatever I think I am. I'm whatever I want to be. I'm whatever I choose to be. It doesn't matter about my biology. It doesn't matter about anything else. It's about me and what I say. And you better use the right pronouns. You better recognize me for what I am because, they don't say this, but this is a spirit, I am king of my life. Isn't that right? What say you, David? Well, he says, such knowledge... Is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It must mean there's somebody above us. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Jonah found that out, didn't he? And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You can't hide from God. You can't get away from God. You can't change God. 
He is the one who rules. He is the sovereign king. He is your creator, and you were created by divine design to be who you are. I want you to watch a video clip. You may have seen this. This is where education is headed if parents and others don't speak up. Watch this. And something, something cool about me, Miss Hammond? All right. All right. So something that's really cool and unique about who I am is that I am transgender. So we touched a little bit about that at the beginning of this week uh, in the book that Miss Hammond read. But I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl based on what they look like. And most of the time, that guess is 100% correct. There are no issues whatsoever. Um, and, but sometimes the doctor is wrong. The doctor makes an incorrect guess. Um, when the doctor makes a correct guess, that's when a person is called cisgender. When a doctor's guess is wrong, that's when they are transgender. So I'm a man, but when I was a baby, the doctors told my parents I was a girl. And so my parents gave me a name that girls typically have and bought me clothes that girls typically wear. Um, and until I was 18 years old, everyone thought I was a girl. And this was super, super uncomfortable for me because I knew that wasn't right. Um, the way I like to describe it is like wearing a super itchy sweater. Um, the longer you wear it, the itchier it gets. And the only way to make the itching stop is to have everyone see and know the person that you really are. So when I was 18, I told my family and my friends that I'm really a boy. And it was like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders and I had the freedom to be who I truly am. And even though this experience is super challenging sometimes, um, I am it made me the person I am and I'm super proud to be transgender. Speaking to uh, elementary school students. Is that what you want in the education system? Is that who you want telling your children and your grandchildren about who they are and what they are? Or do you think that's your job? That's very, very sad. Very, very sad. Now, do I believe that there are people who are genuinely confused? Yes, I do. And here's the other thing that I would say. With all the compassion that I can. I'm sorry that you feel that way. But the only way you're going to find anything solid and anything that helps is to submit to God and not determine for yourself. We're following our own ways. The book of Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Could that explain why so many people are pursuing lifestyles that the Bible does not sanction? Thinking that it's going to be a, this word used advisedly, a gay lifestyle, yet it's a heartache lifestyle? Thinking that maybe if I could just get away from what I am and change my body, Take away certain things, add certain things, and I could take hormones, and, and they're even taking little children and giving them hormone blockers. Gosh, when I was five years old, 
You know, I thought I was Batman for crying out loud. Some friends and I one time put a towel around our neck and played Superman and jumped off of a roof. Not very smart. I don't do that now. Is there any possibility with these little children that they're going to be guided a certain way that they're going to regret when they get older? This is just not right. And it's not smart. It's not helpful. And if you or any of your family are struggling with that, it's not the way to happiness either. There's only one king, and that is God. He made us. He designed us. He has chosen for us what we are going to be. And even as Christians, even if you don't mess around with your gender, some of you are missing the happiness and the joy that comes in the kingdom of God. Paul said in the book of Romans, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Why are we missing it? Because some of us may not be going, oh, I wish I were a girl, or oh, I wish I were a boy. You don't go into those kind of things. But you are fighting against the life that God has given you, planned for you, and the way that he has made you. And you don't accept that. And you keep trying to change it. You keep trying to push it. You keep trying to do something other than what he has ordained for you to do. And I would say to you, just as much, because sin comes in all forms and fashions, just as much as I would say to a transgender person, you don't get to be king. This is God who is with us. This is God who created us. This is God who the psalmist said, hymns us in. There are just some things you're not made to do. There are some places you're never going to be able to go. There are some life experiences you're never going to have because God has put you in a spot, a place, that he intends for you to be. And the sooner you accept that, the happier you are going to be because God has joy for people that quit trying to rule their lives and surrender to him as their king. Let's go to point number three now. And um, we'll talk about it and read a little bit more scripture. Confusion comes... Let me get this on the right place. Come on, go away. Confusion comes when we see mistake instead of certainty. Okay, why did I say that? Because what happens is people are saying, and I don't know how all this is going to uh, work out, because you have the, uh, the gay community saying, I was born this way and you've got to accept it. And then you had the trans community saying, the way I was born wasn't right. I wasn't born this way. I've got to make changes. And they'll say there's some clashes that are coming up on all of that. It doesn't really um, make a whole lot of sense. And what happens is so many people are looking at their life now. And instead of seeing someone that, as the scripture says, is fearfully and wonderfully made, you know what they see when they look in the mirror? And this is heartbreaking. They see a divine, colossal mistake. 
Why am I not the way that I want to be, the way that I choose to be? Why am I not like everybody else? Because there's always somebody we're comparing ourselves to. If I were like them, if I were their gender, if I had their hair, if I had their skin tone, if I had their money, if I had their parents, if they, I mean, all of those kind of things, that's the root of our unhappiness. And social media just is blowing this all up like you can't believe. We see the highlights of everybody else's life. Why can't my husband be like that? Why can't my wife be like that? Why can't my kids be like that? I saw a funny bumper sticker the other day. You know all those bumper stickers that say, my kid is an honor student? I saw one the other day that said, my kid beat up your honor student. And, uh, you know, we're never happy. Never happy with anything. David, what say you? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know what David is saying? God made you even with your deficiencies. I jokingly say, I didn't really have to agonize much about whether to preach or go into the NFL. Get it? Why? Because God had a plan for me. And he just said, let's just take away that option. Makes it easier to do the will of God. I told you that I've got a friend, a high school friend with ALS. My goodness. He doesn't have any movement now. Everything he does, this is mind-boggling, is with his eyes. He is getting ready to preach. He can't even speak. Has a computer-generated voice, and he'll be up on the platform in his, um, lack of a better word, wheelchair, and that thing will be speaking for him. And he did all of the research, put it all together with his eyes. Takes a long time, hard work. He emailed me just this morning can't imagine how hard that must be and yet at the same time I mean I've known him since we were in high school he's got a bigger audience now listening to him than he ever has had before and he says Greg I don't know how many days the Lord is going to give me but I want to use every one of them to the very end for the glory of God you know what David would say Vernon you're fearfully and wonderfully made. This? Yeah. Yeah, even this. Why? Because it's a platform to declare the glory of God, to declare the gospel of God. And people look at him, and even on Facebook, some of our old high school friends that you can tell are, are you know, pretty far from the Lord. But they're listening, and they're paying attention and they wouldn't listen to me preach, but they'll listen to him when it's posted. 
Why? Because God uniquely designs our lives so that we can be the ambassadors for Christ and give Him the glory. Oh, if I just had, and if I just were, oh, I could do so much more for God. Stop it. Stop it. And surrender to your king and realize he doesn't make mistakes. He made you the way he wants you to be. And there is certainty in that. Certainty in that. Now, granted, you can choose to take care of yourself, to eat right, to get exercise or not. There's some wiggle room in some of this. But basically, you're the way that he designed you. The heritage, everything else that comes like that. This is a God who is in control and a God who doesn't make mistakes. And today, everything is just uncertain. If only. And maybe I could change this and all of that. And it's paralyzing so many people. And it's robbing you of your joy of just being who God made you to be. And number four, confusion comes when we try to find purpose in pointlessness. I was watching somebody the other day. They said they were an atheist. They believed in evolution. We're here by just random chance. And then when questioned further, he said, I'm just, it was somebody in their 20s, I'm just really struggling to find my purpose in life. Sir, if what you say is true and there is no God, and we are highly evolved creatures, that if you take anything out of the chain, we wouldn't be here, then you don't have a purpose. Life is just about living Doing whatever you want, reproducing and dying and fading away into nothingness. And we have people today, I mean, good night, Purpose Driven Life was a bestseller, uh, best one of the bestsellers of all time. Why? People want purpose in life, but they want purpose without God without any kind of design. They want purpose without any morality. They want purpose without any objective truth. They want purpose on their terms when they can rule their own life. And then they wonder why nothing makes sense. Why everything is so confusing. Why it is that they clash with previous generations. And by the way, those of you who are young, get ready, your day's coming too. I promise you, as woke as you may be and as enlightened as you may be, your kids are going to rebel against all of that. They're probably going to become card-carrying conservatives, but nonetheless, isn't that the way it works? They push. Every generation pushes back. And so we try to find purpose out of pointlessness. I mean, if there's no God, if there's no design, if all the stuff happened in the universe just at the right time, and boom, here's stuff happens, and then other things happen, and then scum, you know, turns into something that crawls out of the pond one day, and then swings from a tree, and then turns into us. I don't know, the more I look, maybe it does make more sense. But what's the point? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die, the Epicurean philosophy. Been around, been around forever. You could make an argument that's kind of what Eve believed when she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, couldn't you? It's all about me. 
It's all about what I want to do, what makes me happy. And let's just party, let's just have fun. Who cares? Who cares? But I conclude by saying to you that there is a point and everything starts and it ends with God himself. David says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The God who made you, the God who designed you, is a personal God. This God who knows you and knows all of your flaws, all of your weaknesses, all of your mistakes, and let's go ahead and say it, your sin. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's what happened. It's not evolution that brought death. And some people say, well, maybe God started the process and it went on. That's impossible because that doesn't square with the Bible, number one. That's the most important thing. The other thing is think about this. For evolution to take place, it takes millions upon millions of years, we're told, of what? Creatures that live and creatures that die. Creatures that mutate. Some survive, some don't. Survival of the fittest, which I don't disagree with, by the way. And uh, all of this happens to bring us to the point to where Adam and Eve, they say, are just representatives of humans. Well, the Bible says very clearly the wages of what is death? Sin. But if you believe in theistic evolution, you've been believing in life and death for millions of years before we ever get to the point of being human. That doesn't make any sense. When did sin enter? Why is death the wage of sin if all of those other creatures, our ancestors, died to get us where we are? That doesn't make any sense theologically. Adam and Eve were created by God. They were put in a garden. They were given complete freedom to eat of any tree of the garden except one. And they chose to eat of that one. They disobeyed God. And because of that, sin entered the world. The earth was put under a curse. And we pass on the sin nature to our children. That's why you don't have to teach a toddler to lie or to hit or to say mine or to want something that somebody else has. You don't have to teach those guys. Boy, you do have to teach, say thank you and give them a hug and share your toys and all of that. Why? Because it's a nature that we have and all of us have it. You have it, I have it, all of us have it. And it's just inherent within us. Somebody pulls over in front of you in your lane. Even if it doesn't slow you down more than two seconds, it makes you mad. And you may say something, you may honk at them, you may swerve around them or whatever. Why do you do that? Because after you get through, you didn't gain anything. It didn't do anything. Well, they just need to know. Because you think you're king. See? You are messing with my universe. I am the sovereign one. How dare you? That's why we get our feelings hurt. That's why all those things happen. You have no right to do that type of stuff, even though you do it all the time to other people. But when you're the king, you can do what you want. As the old song says, it's good to be king. Right? Well, God says, no, you're not. That's called sin. That's called rebellion. That's treason against me because I'm the king. I'm the one who made you. And then he tells us that the wages of being king of your own life, sin, is death. 
The Bible says also, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And you will have to stand before the king to give an account for why you would have the audacity to claim to be king at all and to rule your own life and to deny him. And you're not going to have a defense. The law of God that you have broken is going to shut your mouth and you will be absolutely speechless and defenseless in the presence of the king. And then you are going to hear the verdict, guilty as charged. And then those chilling words, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a horrifying thing to think about. And that's where all of this that we've talked about today, that's where it gets you. Not happy, not free, not being who I really am and correcting God's mistake. Now, that's, that's where it gets you. But I've got some good news that I want to conclude on. We like to conclude on good news, don't we? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what that means is this same God that his justice stands ready to condemn you, also became the solution. And Jesus Christ, his son, came to earth and lived the perfect life you could never live so that he could go to the cross as the unblemished lamb of God. And being nailed to that cross by Roman soldiers, he was suspended between heaven and earth. And on earth they mocked him, they jeered him, they spat upon him. And then from heaven, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit poured their wrath out upon God the Son, Jesus Christ, turned their backs on him. And the Bible says that when he was led before um, Pilate and all of those, he basically said little to nothing. Isaiah said he's like a sheep before his shearers, speechless, didn't say anything. But when he's on the cross, there was one thing that made him shriek, the Bible says. My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? And it was at that point that, as Paul wrote, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And God has eyes purer than to look upon iniquity. And God the Father and God the Holy Spirit turned away from God the Son on the cross. Until the debt had been paid, until the wrath of God that you deserved had been fully satisfied in the death of Christ. And then he said three little words that change everything. It is finished. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, surrender to him, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that means believing the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you will be saved. Your sin will be wiped out, the dead will be cleared. And you will be made right with God. And you can have the free gift of eternal life. And isn't that amazing? That God the Father takes your shame and your sin and puts it on His own Son. And then He takes His own Son's righteousness and He puts it on you. So that through Christ you are fully, totally acceptable for eternity 
to the Lord because you are in Christ and part of his family and somebody ought to say amen to that. That's what it's all about. If you've never trusted him, my prayer is that you will trust him today. Maybe today you look at what we've talked about and, uh, you know, I may get canceled over all of this. Who knows? But it's truth. And if people would hear it, it would help them so much, so much. And we stand on the word of God. We stand on the word of God because Jesus said, Thy word is truth. If we can help you with any of this about salvation, maybe some of these other issues about sexuality or anything like that. Look, we're not here to uh, give condemnation and all of that. That's, that's what God does. But we are here to say we could help. We'd be happy to pray for you. We'd be happy to talk to you. We'd be happy to help you in any way that we can with anything that we can. If you've got this going on with your children or your family, uh, we may not have all of the answers that we need in order to get things the way you would want them to be, but we can love you and we can pray with you and we make ourselves available to you for the glory of God and for your well-being because we love God and we also love God's people. And I pray the Lord blesses you. And moms, you are no accident designed by God. The children that you have are not by accident. They are created by God. And you hold a very special role in all of this. And we say this with all certainty based not on the so-called the science, but on the truth of God's inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, eternal word. Rest on Him. Heavenly Father, we conclude today by praying for those who are lost and asking you to save them. We pray for those who are confused by everything they hear in this world today. Oh Lord, bring them to you and bring them to truth and settle this for them. We pray, Lord, for parents and grandparents who have grandchildren and children going through these type of things and asking questions they don't know how to answer. Oh God, give them wisdom. Give them patience. Give them grace. But give them a backbone of steel at the same time. And Father, we pray for those who are actually going through this. Draw them to yourself, to certainty, for the glory of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.